0: This is Contra Radio from Contour.scot.
1: Hi folks, David Jamieson here, editor of Contour.scot. On the day that Liz Truss, I say, finally resigned as Prime Minister, it took just 45 days in the end, minus Prime Ministers who died in office. She is the shortest serving British Prime Minister ever, and the most calamitous Prime Minister ever to come from. The natural party of government, the Conservative Party, very glad today to be talking to Chris Bambury. He is in uh, Westminster as we speak in the Parliament and in his office, and to Jonathan Shaffey back up here in Scotland. And we're going to talk about the causes, consequences, bit of analysis of a crisis in the Conservative Party which must rank as one of or the most extreme in the, in the party's long history. Uh, first of all, Chris, Give me a bit of a feeling for the moods down there in the
2: Parliament. I think people are gobsmacked. There are Conservative MPs running around uh, trying to make sense of all of this. Uh, It was very unexpected, you know, some way the announcement that Trust was going to make this statement in Downing Street, and very quickly it became apparent she was going to resign. Now, I mean, she's been meeting with Graham Brady for the 1922 committee for days now, on and off. Uh, so in one sense, this wasn't unex- uh, unexpected, but I think there is a sense of shock, and uh, I think there is a lot of worry among conservatives about who is there that can replace her as prime minister. The factionalism is now so deep, and we should remember this goes back almost four decades. It goes back to you know the end of Margaret Thatcher's regime, John Major. When he describes some of his cabinet colleagues as bachelors, the European issue has become toxic. And this is about the European issue, by the way. It's about uh, uh, a party which wants Brexit done, if you remember the phrase. Uh, and it's very difficult to see how there is going to be a sort of unity candidate. Uh, there's talk of uh, Richie Sunak becoming Prime Minister, Penny Morgan becoming Foreign Secretary, and Jeremy Hunt Chancellor. Jeremy Hunt's ruled himself out of the race. But I don't see that solving the matter because Sunak is hated by many for sticking a knife into Boris Johnson. Uh, Johnson himself is talking about standing. Now, if it was a membership contest where the members voted, I think he'd win. But this will be MP, so it's not so certain. But I think the real problem is this. I mean, someone said to me, yeah, sure, the Tory establishment will sort this out. Well, there isn't really a Tory establishment because of the factionalism. And because the party itself, including so many of its MPs, are kind of enraged middle class, that they aren't just going to accept what, uh, you know, British, the British elite tell them. That's the fundamental problem here. Once the Conservative Party was the party of the ruling class, there is no real connection between this Conservative Party and the Conservative MPs and the people who run Britain. I mean, Quartin and, uh, and many of the others were connected to uh, hedge funds, the sort of spivy element of the British, uh, British elite, on the fringes of it. But there aren't figures who can come in from big business or the city of London who can sort of simply say, come on, we've got to pull together here. Where's the point of a sensible candidate to, uh, to run things? And the second thing, this was something else that was said to me, is, uh, you know, the best, uh, the best prime ministerial uh, candidates are people who have been in opposition for some time, who actually have got their act together and have created a team. Because in opposition, you have to create a team. And there isn't anyone in the Conservative ranks who can is like that. You know, there, uh, this is not going to end the factionalism. The knives that are going to be out all the time. So there's, as I say, a disconnect between the Conservative Party and the people who run this country. It represents a very enraged middle class, mainly concentrated in the southeast of England, completely pro-Brexit. And they couldn't give a damn about other things. I mean, they really couldn't give a damn about Scotland. They couldn't give a damn about Ireland. If Joe Biden was to uh, sort of make a statement saying Britain has to stick by the good Friday Green, that would just send them up the wall. If Brussels says anything, it just sends them up the wall. So in a very unusual, uh, a very unusual position, but I don't see this is going to be resolved in any sense by a, a new leadership contest. A couple of points on that, Chris. If you could
1: comment on this, I mean, there's there's a lot of people in the media right now saying what on earth has happened to the quality of politicians in the Conservative Party? The 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 Tory politicians you see stumbling around in the halls down there do they I mean do you get a sense of that that, that this is a, a a political generation without that quality without the experience of facing up to a powerful left a powerful labor movement um who don't have a strong sense of the tradition they represent who don't have a strong sense of connections to the to, to the ruling class proper
2: yes and I, I think that's the change which dates back to actually Margaret Thatcher's time You know, there were Conservative grandees still in the party in uh, Margaret Thatcher's time. Under her, it became, they retired and it became a much more middle-class Westminster group made up of people who are chartered accountants, lawyers, etc., who, and I I think they aren't, they haven't got that connection to, uh, to the ruling class. They haven't got a sense of what the Conservative Party was historically. For them, the complete priority is was wasn't is Brexit. And this you know, the idea that Britain can sort of become a new Singapore, a free market hub uh, of the, uh, the European mainland. They really believe that. And uh, I, I think you know there's and I think the other problem as well is that they are representative of Conservative Party membership, as I say, mainly concentrated in the southeast of England, property owners, rentiers who don't like the sort of globalized ruling class, epitomized for them by David Cameron, strangely. They never like Cameron. Uh, they don't like these people because you know, they sort of regard them as not being nationalist, English nationalist, I should say here. They're a globalized ruling class who'd be sort of just as happy being in Hong Kong or New York as in London. And they resent those people, and they resent their values. And really, th- that membership wants to get off this globalized uh, planet. They don't want to be here anymore. They want to go back to a world which they imagine, you know, where Britain, England, and it is very much an English nationalism, sort of ruled, uh, ruled the seas and ruled the globe. You know, that's there. And that English nationalism, which is prevalent, and it's prevalent among many of the Conservative MPs, is not shared with the ruling class. You know, who might cheer on England or Britain at sport, but we find it embarrassing, you know, to help fly a Union Jack from outside the house or something.
1: My uh concern on on some of this kind of stuff though is i think that's an accurate analysis i think that the the tory party has um split along lines that have to do with social class or the relationship to social classes as much as kind of ideological or intellectual views there is a danger though i think that um many people will start taking sides in establishment bun fights as they did during the 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 brexit impasse because what we are seeing is you know through figures like jeremy hunt the uh the so-called the markets which is a euphemism really for like the biggest fractions of capitalist power reimposing trying to reimpose control over this kind of feral you know singapore on thames element within the tory party but they are all their talk is about cuts i mean i was watching the media coverage today of liz truss's resignation and everything that every media carrier was saying was hunt must do cuts now he must uh, it's a foregone conclusion, as far as the media is concerned, as far as the Tory party is concerned, as far as the markets are concerned. Jonathan, can I just bring you in on that? I mean, are we in danger here of, you know, a, a more, a, a more progressive alternative being sandwiched between two wings of the
0: establishment? Uh, yeah, I mean that's that's clearly a danger. Um, we have, I mean, effectively democracy in this country has been uh, suspended. Um, there's been a full blown, I would call it not a crisis of the Tory party. I think the way that Chris laid out that analysis there is is, is accurate. Um, but clearly, this is more the more a crisis of, of the British state. I mean, this is a this is a huge constitutional crisis, which is blown up. And you can even see it in some of the reporters, some of the media who, who are covering these these events. I mean, they don't quite know the coordinates for how you should set about understanding what's going on. Uh, we're even hearing that Boris Johnson might well put his, his name forward as well uh, to become leader. So, I mean, I think when Chris talks about uh, there being these very embittered, very entrenched divisions inside the Tory party, uh, that's absolutely the case. And of course, these are reflected in the wider British establishment about where British capitalism actually should go, where it, where it needs to go next. Uh, now where it needs to go next um, will be of uh, will will have no democratic mandate. That's I suppose the key point I want to make. That where it will go next is more austerity, more attacks on the working class, and there will be no democratic debate about this. There will be no democratic impulse running through the institutions that are managing this process or attempting uh, to manage this process. And I have to say that. The other thing that we should sort of raise here is the the national question in Scotland, the idea of independence being posed as an alternative to this, as a democratic alternative to this, is sadly missing. And the reason it's missing is because, as we've been saying for many years now, they haven't developed a campaign uh, which is broader than the SNP. Their prospectus would keep us tied the UK financial institutions but without any political representation in Westminster so we are disarmed when it comes to the national question Uh, and I think the immediate priority has to be whatever your view on independence uh, if you are a supporter of democracy then we need to be presenting a popular expression of opposition to the idea that prime minister after prime minister can come and go with any say from the people. That has to be part of the agenda and it has to be allied to a position that opposes, that resists um, austerity and further attacks on the working class. Who, so just in conclusion, let's remember, have already had 10 years of austerity. It hasn't stopped these attacks. It hasn't stopped in that time. And at the same time, we've had a pandemic. We've got a major crisis in the health service. We've got all of these hap- things happening at once. And so political leadership has to come. And I think it has to come from outside of the parliament at the present moment.
1: That's something else I was going to ask you, Chris. Um, I mean, obviously, in recent years, you've you've actually had a series of insurgencies, all with their own limitations and weaknesses, um, but all of them making it into the Parliament chamber. So you've had Corbynism in the Labour Party, uh, you had an insurgent Scottish National Party after 2014, and, of course, you had the Brexiteers and the Tory party driving a kind of populist insurgency of their own. But that the makeup of the parliament now seems to be much more conservative. There's obviously still a live action fight in the Tory party. You can't deny that. But the SNP group. I mean, I just saw Custin Oswald on the news. She said nothing. Um, they're just going to be a sort of another kind of British establishment party, as they were during the Brexit impasse. And of course, Labour has been completely purged. Uh, and Starmer, I saw in his speech to the TUC today, said that his government would be based on sound money uh, and that working class people s- suffer when there isn't spending restraint. So, um, I mean, does politics now need to move out of those chambers where you are?
2: I think what Jonathan's saying is correct. And I think uh, the obvious, uh, I mean, I think for the SNP and indeed Labour, they can cry as much as they want about a general election. But... The conservatives, conservatives are not lemmings. They know that if they go for a general election now, they're going to lose a tranche of seats. And those MPs in those seats don't want that to happen. So their hope will be they avoid the general election now and try and get a stable government, hope the opinion polls start getting better. Then they might go for an election. Then They might just sit out. So just simply calling for a Westminster election isn't going to get you anywhere. Um, actually, the Scottish government might, re- might think about resigning and calling a whole direction. That would be more effective in some ways if they really wanted to do that, but they're not going to do that. So I think the problem here is, is that the collapse of Corbynism means that the Labour Party now looks actually like, for the British elite, a natural party of government. Starmer is not going to support a second referendum in Scotland on a month of Sundays. He's a committed unionist. He's basically projecting himself as you know, the man you can trust in terms of the finance and industry, et cetera. And of course, there is a purge of the left. And talking to uh, Labour left MPs down here, I mean, this week they blocked Emma Dent Code. I don't know if you remember, was the MP for Kensington, who did a fantastic job around Grenfell Tower, the, the tragedy there. You know, she's been prevented from standing. Lots of sitting the remaining Labour left MPs, most of them were keeping their heads down. Are worried they're going to get blocked from selection. You know, the Labour Party is trawling through tweets and what have you from de- Donkeys years ago, looking for statements they can use to justify that. So, but again, I don't think there is going to be a, a, an election in that, in that terms of that. And the problem we've got is is that we are seeing industrial disputes. Firstly, those industrial disputes aren't going beyond selective action, one day, two day strikes, right? So they're, they're dragging on. Secondly, the kind of it's accompanied. I mean, there are exceptions. I think Mick Lynch has done a very good job. But I mean, the, t- the mood around them, and particularly among ex Corbynista types who've got involved in support for them, is quite apolitical. Uh, they're not really putting forward, we're missing a sort of a, an alternative political alternative to austerity. So I think we have got to look at yes, we've got to look at building resistance and supporting those strikes in every other way we can. But I think the crying uh, shame here is is that we need to build an ideological pole in opposition to Starmer, in opposition to the Scottish government as well, which actually talks about what anti-austerity measures are. That says that if there's going to be a second referendum, and that's a huge if, that actually we can't go in there talking about austerity measures to pay off the debt we supposedly have to Britain. Because the majority of working class people who voted for independence in 2014 aren't going to find that an attractive option. So, we need this ideological pull which can actually begin to raise a challenge to what's the, sort of the dominant, the domination of you know kind of respectable politics of the centre left and of uh, the SNP Sc- uh, Scotland.
1: Jonathan, uh, assuming Chris is right, and what we're looking at is well, we do know that we're looking at a kind of coronation type process for the next Tory leader who we expect to have in office, if I'm not wrong, by next Friday. So, literally eight days um so they're obviously never going to ask the the membership ever again but if we are left with um a, a new Tory administration presumably bending the knee to this sort of market discipline um what what sorts of action do you think are necessary to confront that government at that point
0: well i mean just first of all on the on who the leader might be i mean it's very difficult to speculate in a, in a situation like this there is though i mean from a Tory point of view, there's probably quite a compelling case for it being Boris Johnson. I mean, if you're going to have a coronation without uh, reference to the Tory membership, then probably the only person that has a semblance of legitimacy in that kind of process is Boris Johnson, because because after all, he won an election. Um, So if they're concerned about staving off this idea that uh, the whole situation is just completely anti-democratic then you know there's lots of reasons why they might uh, in the end get behind Boris Johnson and can he play a role which both placates uh, the kind of English nationalist um, ERG type uh, section of the party that Chris referred to uh, and at the same time uh, works alongside the likes of Jeremy Hunt and economic stability and so on so I just think that's interesting as, a, as, a, as an idea as a concept um, uh though I think it will go down extremely badly with with the public. Uh, but I mean, that said, uh, they don't have any good options, do they? Um, now, in terms of what all that means, in terms of what we need to actually do about it. Well, I mean, I think the first thing to say is that we can't leave any of this. I mean, how many years have we had now? We can't leave any of this to elites. We can't leave it to politicians in parliaments, whether that's the Scottish Parliament or on the green benches in Westminster. Ordinary people, civic organisations, trade unions, social movements, all of these kinds of organisations, they need to begin to start to come together to create an alternative, to create an alternative challenge to the way the system is managed, to the way politics currently is functioning, to the way the institutions are being eroded, even of their partial uh, democratic uh, potential. That has to happen. And I think that will happen, by the way. I think it will happen in organised form through things like stripes, through things like national demonstrations. There's one taking place in London on November the 5th. I think that'll be crucial, by the way, because remember that comes after the October 31st uh, budget that will be released. OK, so I think that will be a critical moment. Uh, but I think it's also going to come and going to have to come through an ideological argument about the whole thing as well. That actually, this isn't just a question of Liz Truss or Boris Johnson or personalities. This is a reflection of a much deeper, much more profound crisis, an economic one, a political one, and a social one. And so one of the things I think we will see, alongside all of the more organised forms of opposition and resistance, I think we'll start to see social explosions which are unorganised, which are... Uh, which are reminiscent of some of the, the events that we saw in London all those years ago, uh, where there's just these flashpoints, these social explosions which emerge because you know, people can't afford basic goods. The po- political system around them is collapsing and crumbling. That is the kind of context that leads to the kind of social explosions which I referred to uh, 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 over the last over the last minute or two. So there's lots going to happen. The question will be, and this is suppose where I'll end, the question will be is how political can this moment be, how ambitious can this moment be, is it going to simply be tempered by uh, we need Keir Starmer and we need a Labour government or we need to just continue voting SNP and they have mandate after mandate but never any progress or independence or is there something going to emerge which actually poses a concrete challenge politically to those kinds of forces. And
1: just finally, Chris, um, on that matter, I mean, what what are the the possibilities that uh, a crisis of this kind could bust the boundaries of the Tory party and, you know, bleed out into the wider British state and establishment proper? Because, of course, the Tory party has historically been extremely important to the British state, to its stability, to its continuity. Um, Of course, it dominated British politics before Britain was even a democracy um, and has dominated British politics for the 20th and, uh, of course, most of the 21st century. Um, But, you know, is it is it is a simple matter for the British establishment to transfer authority from one apparently decaying body? Into another body in the in the form of Keir Starmer's Labour Party, or is there an opportunity in that situation to to intervene uh, and spread this crisis more widely through the state?
2: I think you make a very good point. I mean, the British the Conservative Party is must be the most successful political party in the world in the sense of forming of being in office, and it. It's not the case that Britain is, is running a two-party system with sort of alternating two parties in government. The only time that Labour essentially gets into office is when the Conservative Party hits problems, internal problems, and needs to regroup. So the Conservative Party has been the natural party of government for the UK. Uh, and it's been obviously the party which the ruling class relies on, It still funds, I mean, you know, massive funding from uh, b- uh, big business. But well, this disconnect we've talked about with, uh, between the Conservative MPs and membership and the, the, the elite that runs Britain and the global elite means that uh, there is that's no sign of that being overcome. And at the same time, uh, there's no sign that the factionalism inside the Conservative Party is going to go away. It's very difficult to see, as I say, who could bridge all these differences. So the, rich, the ruling class must be pulling their hair out. Now, in the short term, they can go for Starmer. But in the longer term, they're not, they don't trust Labour because of its connections to the working class, albeit once removed via the trade union, the trade union leadership. Labour can be pressurised from below. It is possible. And they're aware of that. Corbynism also frightened them. So they'll be very hesitant about, uh, you know, just pumping for Labour as a long term option. Short term, yes, the hope would be Labour comes to office, allows the Conservatives to regroup, overcome these differences and get back, uh, get back in, uh, into the Act. But I think that's very difficult to see. I think there's other difficulties coming up. I mean, you know, back in 2019, Conservative members were asked what was a bigger priority, Brexit or the preservation of the Union, Scottish independence. And they said Brexit, 65% said Brexit, and they weren't given a damn if Scotland left. Now, there's another issue coming up is unless a Northern Ireland ministry comes into effect, literally within the next few days, there will have to be, and this is scheduled, Northern Ireland elections before Christmas at the end of December, uh, And which I would bet Sinn Féin will again reemerge as the biggest party, probably actually stronger, uh, and also see off its uh, the remnants of its uh, once uh, major nationalist rival, the SDLP. That's gonna open up a whole can of worms. Now, uh, one of the reasons why trust was not trusted internationally is because she obviously was not that concerned about the Good Friday Agreement, neither is Boris Johnson. Uh, Joe Biden and Brussels are very concerned about this. You know, it's very important to them. So that's another issue coming up. So I think the national question is gonna come up and what happens in Ireland can impact into Scotland, by the way, and we should try and ensure it does impact into Scotland uh you know in so uh, in so many ways so i think there's a really interesting period i mean you know to be honest the conservative Party as an institution works to me and it's such a mess that it's hard to see that someone can come to up long and put Humpty dumpty back together again um, who's going to do that And I'm, that must be the issue that's been talked about it has been the issue that's been talked about here which way in the corridors of westminster Who is it you can sort sort out the Conservative Party? And it's going to be very difficult because of the divisions within it and the hatred within it. You know I mean? What's going to happen if, let's just say Boris Johnson became the new Prime Minister. It's a big if. Will he appoint Sunak as being Chancellor? No. Right? He must hate Sunak. You'll have to keep Jeremy Hunt. But who's going to appoint in other positions? And when you get people like sort of Ben Wallace becoming, you know, major players, then goodness help us. Um, so this is a, a, a really interesting position, but I think it's, I'll say it like this, this is an organic crisis of the Conservative Party, which is, dates back to Margaret Thatcher's final days, in which all the chickens are now coming home to roost. And it doesn't seem to me that any the outcome of any leadership contest is going to solve any of that. So it's going to be very interesting in the coming months, you know, to see what actually happens and what capital, big capital, does. And going back to your final point as well, I mean, I think the markets are insisting on an austerity program, and I think Jonathan's quite right. How that plays out, they really don't have a clue. Uh, I mean, I'm speaking from London. I mean, London must be is has has been a very volatile city. It's not difficult to see rioting in London. It's not difficult to see major social unrest in London. It could be anti-political, but uh, non-political, but I, I think it could come through. So I think we have to start preparing for all sorts of likelihoods here and putting forward the idea, yes, there has to be opposition on the streets, opposition in the workplaces to uh, whoever is going to come new uh, Conservative prime minister, but we need that anti-market, anti-neoliberal, anti-Stalin sort of or Sturgeon ideological position from the radical left. Okay, folks, thanks
1: very much.
0: Want more like this? Subscribe to Contour Radio on our SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Sign up to our regular newsletter at contour.substack.com and find great articles and more at contour.scot. We really rely on listeners like you to help us grow. In return, you get access to exclusive content and events by joining our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash counter Scott.